Hello, welcome back to this week's Pulpit to Pew podcast and our adult Bible study. We're continuing our journey through the book of 1 John, and we're on chapter 3 this week. We started chapter 3 last week. We're in chapter 3, picking up in verse 11, heading down through the end of the chapter. And we're going to talk a little bit about loving one another. And then this week, we get into a few verses that kind of lead to us discussing our conscience. What is our conscience? Are we to be led by our conscience? Can the conscience be set? Can we go against our conscience and it be sin or is it not sin? So we're going to talk about those things today. So thank you for being a part of the podcast. Without further ado, here is this week's study. All right, let's take our Bibles, go to 1 John chapter 3. That's where we left off last week, 1 John chapter 3. And we were, we've just kind of been walking down through this text, but Throughout this book, and I'm going to steal my brother's opening illustration he gave in our prayer time this morning, because it does fit well, um, and I'll get to that in a second, but we've, he's been writing to us about the fellowship we can have with Jesus Christ, and when we are in fellowship with Jesus Christ, it brings a confidence to your walk with God. And that's where I want to, because he, he, he's going to get into that a little bit, he's going to have a theme that he's already talked about some at the beginning of today, then he's going to have kind of a new theme that I'm going to discuss at the end of the lesson. Hopefully I have more time for that. But I want to open with this thought that, that Brian shared in our prayer time. I thought it was helpful, and so I thought I'm going to share it too. It actually deals with um, our kids, his kids, your kids, and, we were, and it was a baseball illustration. And, and Brian, they're, they're in the 10U tournament right now. Thankfully it got rained out so far today, so they, they're here and he's teaching. But they're in the 10U tournament last week. They were in the 8U tournament. And in the 8U tournament, their twins were in the 8U tournament. And Brian's daughter, Brooklyn, were in the 8U tournament. And they won the championship. It's all done. They won that championship. So then, in in 8U, if you were to watch Laney in 8U, or if you were to watch um, Brooklyn in 8U, Ryan's the head coach there, so Ryan's pitching. He doesn't stand how far are you away? Really, maybe from here to the wall. It's pretty close. And here's Ryan's pitching, and so Ryan just throws it to Laney, and Laney stands up there confident, dad is pitching, and just crushes it. And she'll just hit it hard, hit it out into the outfield. Brooklyn's up with Ryan pitching, who she knows. She goes to church here, friends with her dad. She just sits there confident as can be. That pitch comes in, she cranks it, absolutely cranks it. They won a championship. Well, Brian and Ryan now also coach the 10U, so they said, hey, we need to get a couple bodies. They bring Laney and they bring Brooklyn up to 10U. All right, these girls just won the championship. These girls are cranking the ball, even hitting it out to the outfield, in the park. Brooklyn's so fast, and little in the park home runs. You bring them up to 10U, these kids are not really better than them, in my opinion, most of them, a lot of them. And, and, and Nothing's really changed. The ball's the same size, everything, but there's one difference. Instead of dad sitting right here or my dad's friend just going like this and throwing them perfect every time, now you've got your peer standing there pitching. They got these weird forms that they're doing and they're bringing it up here like this and they're bringing it around like this. And now that ball is not perfect every time. 
So now you've got two all-stars that are champions, and they're up there now in 10 in their first at bat, which I don't know if I saw their first at bat, but this is how Brian described it. First at bat, they're up there like, yeah, we're the champs, we're the champs. And that ball didn't come perfect, and some one of them, I mean, Laney got hit in the head at one time later. All of a sudden, you're like, whoa, this is crazy. And so now yesterday, here's what happens. One time, Laney, I'll just pick on Laney for a second. It's their kid. She'll never listen to my podcast. But at one at bat, she was up there, and Brooklyn's done this too. Now all of a sudden, they're like frozen. It's like these all-stars are frozen. And, and one time, they were kind of, she was moving and out, and, and it's like, hold on, what? nothing's changed. They still have all the talent in the world. What, what's left? Their confidence level is down because things have changed. Now, they later, they're going to, you know, watch. Next year, they're going to be in 10U, and you know what I'm going to be saying a year from now? They're all-stars, and they won the championship because they just need more experience and more time. Now, why did I say all that? In our text today, you're going to see, and throughout this book, he's writing to Christians that have no confidence right now. They had confidence in the world. And as long as they're in the world and in their, in their stride of sin, man, they were fine. They knew how to live. But now they're Christians, and now they're supposed to be walking in faith. And, 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 and maybe they would even, as Christians, were fine as long as everything was going good. But now, within the church... There's problems, there's conflict, and outside, the people had left the church, and, and they're trying to stir things up, remember, about the Trinity, and they were trying to stir things up about if Jesus was really God, and now their confidence is shaken, just like these eight-year all-stars coming to tenue, and it first pitches from a new kid. And so you're going to see several times throughout this book, and you're going to see it right here, that he's going to say the word no, or no, or assure, or assure. He's trying to build their confidence, just like all of us were doing yesterday. We were going to the fence and trying to build Brooklyn. Hey, you can do this. Didn't really, she knows me, but she doesn't care what I say. But I feel like I'm always wanting to coach, so I'm back behind her going, Hey, Laney, come on, you can do this. I thought we are going to play good cop, bad cop here. Dad gets on her as coach, and I'm going to be like, Hey, we can do this, you know, or mom, get, no. But it was I was just trying anything because... You're trying to build their confidence. So that's what John is doing as he's writing to this young church that's not seen Jesus physically. And you're going to see that word. Watch for the word no, no, assuredly, assuredly. Watch it come up. Now here it is, verse 11. Let's start in verse 11 and get into our text. With that backdrop, you're going to see a familiar theme now. He says this phrase. We've even heard this phrase in this text. He says, for this is the message that ye have heard from the beginning. And if you remember anything about our studies, we went back and kind of studied that early on because he used that same phrase. We said, what is from the beginning? Is he talking about from the beginning of all of creation? No, he's talking about from the beginning that they heard when they first got saved, that they heard that Jesus had been had taught. And then he's going to go into what it is, that we should love one another. That comes directly, if you may remember, from John 13, when, when Jesus said this, and he taught John himself, and now John is telling this next third, second and third generation people, but that Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have loved one for another. Study the New Testament. One time it hit me several years ago as I was studying, studying the New Testament, and how many times it does talk about love one another, love one another, love one another. It's all throughout the New Testament. And he said, you've heard this. And I think it stemmed all from what Jesus, when Jesus was teaching there in John 13 and other passages. But then he gives an Old Testament illustration. He says, not, don't be like, he says, not as Cain. Remember Cain in Genesis? Who was of the wicked one and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? 
Why did he kill him? Because his own works were evil and his brothers were righteous. I'm not going to go back into Genesis and teach that. I think some of you have heard that story. It's not the focus where I want to focus today, but uh, you know, Cain brought this offering of his works and he didn't bring it as if he was supposed to, the first, first fruits. And Abel did, and Cain got mad, and Cain killed his brother. And in the first murder, we see drama in the family all of a sudden. And this is the illustration that John chose to use. He says, that's not how you love one another. And I think that's a pretty safe illustration. I think John's like, all right, let me just take an extreme thing, killing somebody. If you do that, you don't love your brother. Well, I think we could all figure that out. But I'm not trying to criticize John here, but... But it's a pretty good illustration. If you kill someone, you probably don't love them. But then remember how Jesus turned it? And we're going to get to that. Let's continue. Verse 13. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you. Now that's what he said last week. Remember chapter 3, verse 1, when he says, Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. And it says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Verse 2. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when, we shall, when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. I think it was actually back up. Um, but he, he's talking about, oh, the world knoweth us not in verse number one. So the world doesn't know us. They don't, and he says, so don't be surprised, Christians, if the world, the, the system of this world hates you. And I don't want to go back into lessons for the last two weeks, but I think as Christians, we, we shouldn't try to blend in and be the world. The Bible does tell us to come out from among them. Now, I don't, I've always taught, I don't think you have to be weird. I really don't. I don't think you have to actually try to be weird. And so everybody goes, well, look at that weird one. He must be a Christian. I don't think that. I don't think it doesn't mean that we can't wear stylish clothes. Or I don't think it means you can't wear Nikes or Under Armour. you got to get like the most plain thing to be spiritual. I don't think that's what it means. I just think he means this. You don't have to let the system of this world and the way that they think control how you live your life. Just because the system of our world may promote things on television doesn't mean that we have to say it's okay if the Bible still says it's wrong. That's what he's saying. Now, I don't think, I don't think that we have to go and be hateful to the people that we'd have a lifestyle that we disagree with. That's not what he's teaching. He says love one another. But I also don't have to say, well, you know what, it's all right. If that's your thing, then that's your thing. No, if the Bible says something is wrong, it's wrong. So we have to not allow the world system to influence us. So he says, but, but, when, but here's where I'm getting. When you take that stand, though, don't be surprised when the world doesn't like you. Don't be surprised when people say, well, I just think you're judgmental. You're going to hear that. And it's not because you're judgmental. It's because you don't say, I agree with whatever you want to do. That's not to mean you're judgmental. You may not even have said anything. Okay, so don't marvel, don't get concerned, don't worry about if, if, the, if the world hates you. He says, we know that we have passed from death to life. You're, you're, you're out of that life now. You're in a new life of Jesus Christ. But he says, because we love the brethren, and he that loveth not his brethren abideth in death. And he says, one of the ways, though, that one of the ways that you can have this confidence that I opened up the lesson with, one of the ways you can have that confidence is by how you love others. So, this is a, it's just an interesting text. People will say, well, I don't really know. I'm, I'm sometimes counseling with this teenager and, and sends message, and the teenager's constantly saying this. I just don't think I'm a Christian. I just don't think I'm a Christian. I just don't think I'm a Christian. And this teenager is a Christian. I mean, I've heard the testimony. I've seen the testimony. Led this kid to the Lord. All these things. This teenager is just a disobedient Christian. 
And when you're a disobedient Christian, you know what? You don't feel saved. And, and when you love, but in that, this illustration, what he's talking about right here specifically, when you have love for others and you're showing the love of Christ to other people, that just reassures your faith. It just helps you to know that I'm a Christian. Now, let's, let's just continue on. I want to get to the, the themes that I want to talk about because we've talked about loving one another earlier on in this study. But he says in verse 15, Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. Now, where does that come from? Let, let me just ask you guys. Where does, where does he get that? So if I hate Aaron, then I'm a murderer. Where would he get that from? Any ideas? Yeah, you can say it with confidence. Go ahead. I saw you say it. Jesus, Jesus there it is. All right. Jesus. Because remember Jesus said, if any man say, I hate my brother, you've committed, I'm, I'm, I'm butching this, I'm just paraphrasing, but he says you've committed murder. Or anybody says raka, that's a phrase, it was an insult back then. You've committed murder in your heart. So he's using that phraseology here when he says, when he's talking about, if you don't have love for your brother, you abide in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Now, you could be debated here whether you're saying whether or not you're saved or not. If you, if you habitually live a life of hatred towards people, there's no change in your life. You can make that argument that in this wording that he's using. Again, I'm going fast on this, but the present tense way of using this means habitual. If you continuously live this life, then there's an argument that can be made that you may have never been saved. But it's not, I'm not the judge. That's what I tell people all the time. We're not to be fruit inspectors. We're just to be fruit bearers. So I'm not going around telling people they're not saved. But here's, what I, here's my answer all the time. When someone may say, was so-and-so saved? I mean, they're not living like it. Here's what I say. I don't know. I don't know. They say they are, but they don't live their life. So I'll never know until I get to heaven. Now, if, I had to, if someone asked me personally, if my wife said, hey, what do you think? Do you think they're saved? I'm going to say, no. Because I may think no, but I don't know. I just can go on what I see. And so I think there could be some of that that he's talking about in this text. If you just continually live your life in sin and hatred, you, you're, you don't have eternal life abiding. It could be what he's saying. But the other sense is what he's saying is inconsistent with the theme that I've been teaching. Is he's just saying you can't say you're in fellowship with God. You can't. And this is the basis, whether, whichever way you take. You cannot say you're in fellowship with God and hate a brother. And have hatred in your heart towards others. That you can't. Because fellowship with God is not mean enmity with other people. We, have to, we need to be able to get things right. Doesn't mean you're going to hang out all the time. Doesn't mean you have to be best friends. It just means you can't have hatred in your heart and have fellowship with God. It's not there. Now, he goes on. He says, verse 16, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us. Here's we see the love of God that we're supposed to show others. He laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay our lives down for the brethren. He's just showing the sacrificial part of love. If it really maybe if I would have I'm gonna to get to a point that I want to focus on today, but if I would have spent more time here, we would have talked about what is love. But we've kind of had this conversation. But love is sacrificial. Love is a giving without expecting in return. This is the, the Christ love. This is the agape love that he's referring to here. And he talks about laying down his life says, But whoso hath this world's goods, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion for him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? So if, if you are as a Christian, you see another Christian has a need, and you, you shut up your bowels of compassion. You have 
what you need to take care of it, but you just turn your back and act like you don't even know they have a need? He says, how dwelleth the love of God in you? How can you even think that you're in fellowship with God? We see that play out in a church setting in a good way. I think as a church, when we see that people have needs within the church, we try to take care of them. We try to help them. We take a love offering or something like that. Uh, and, and so we, we want to show compassion is what he's getting at. When he says, my little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. So the, he kind of wraps this up and he says, listen, don't, don't just say that you love people. Don't as Christians just say, oh yeah, we love you, we love you, and then don't do it. Don't do anything to show your love. Prove it. When I was pastoring down in uh, Madison, Indiana, I used to tell our church all the time that I want everybody that walks in this church to feel loved. Everybody. I don't care if you're an introvert or an extrovert. By nature, I'm more of an introvert. If I don't know you, it's hard for me to come talk to you. If I did, just know that I was struggling when I did it, okay? Because I don't like the small talk. I just don't, it's awkward. It's just really weird. I just want to get deep real quick, all right? Let's just tell me the worst thing that's happened in your life and let me kind of talk through that with you or something. Let me, which is the bad thing maybe because my wife's very private and I'm very like, all right, here's everything that's happened in my life. And she's just like, what are you doing, you know? But I just want to get deep fast because I hate the small talk stuff. So I'm just like, all right, here's what happened in my end 2008. Here's what happened to me here, boom, boom, boom. Now we've got all that on the table, let's talk. But it's, it's, just, it's, it's just awkward. But what I used to say to our church is this, we've got to let people know we love them. It doesn't matter if they come in and they look different than us. It doesn't matter if they come in and they smell different than us or they, they want to, whatever. Just let them know you love them. Now I said that to teenagers, this is where I get sidetracked, but that's all right. I said that to teenagers when we went on a missions trip to Ireland. I was taking 12 teenagers and another adult to Ireland, and we were going on this missions trip, and I said to these kids, these, we've got to let these, this church had never had a vacation Bible school. They barely even had a kid in their, in their church. And so we're coming over there, and we're going to do a Bible club with them. It's called a holiday Bible club. And they're like, there's, and the guy, the pastor was very, he was a very um, analytical guy, nice guy, the missionary there. He goes, we just never can get kids to come. And so we had been praying for months and praying for months. And so we, we, we got there as a whole story, which I could get into, like I just said, but I'm not going to. We got lost as soon as we got there, but we got there. We were going to start this Bible club. And I told our team, I said, listen, kids are not even coming to this church. And if they do, they don't stay. We are going to show them we love them. And we're going to have a blast this week. We're going to teach them the gospel. We're going to see some saved. I said, do not let a kid come in here without you talking to them and you show them you love them. And my thinking was kind of filter out teens, all right? So if kids come in a bunch, I, you know, I'm picturing America, all these kids coming in at once and we just got teens grabbing them and talking to them. Hey, let me get you registered. That's what I picture. So the first day we, we had, I think we ended up with like five kids the first day. And the first kid came in all by himself. And Ireland's more shy by nature, some of them. And so this little kid just comes in like this, and all 12 of my teens were just like, boom, on him. I'm like, no, 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 no. And so, yeah, I mean, they were just like, we're going to follow what he says. And they were just on him. And I'm like, okay, guys, I'm like, come back here, come back here, especially you ugly boys that are weird. Come back here. You guys get back. I mean, they were just on this little kid, and he's just looking at him like, uh. And so then some more filtered in. By the end of the week, we had like 27, 30 kids there, and we had several kids get saved. And sometimes I get to see 
on Facebook updates, and there's still some of those kids that are growing. And, and uh, one of their moms had a little kid that came, and uh, his, he's still going there. It's encouraging to see. But they did what I wanted them to do, but a little bit over extreme. They didn't know how to, like a teen, they don't know how to filter it down a little bit, throttle that down a little bit, but they were just, boom, all right there. And I think that's where we got to be as a church. We've got to show love for another. You don't have to be a teacher. You don't have to be someone that gives the announcements. You don't have to be someone to sing. You don't have to have a position. Just love. Just see someone that you don't recognize and be kind to them. And that may make all the difference. All right. So I want to get down to this next few verses here. He says, And hereby we know, there's our word, that we are of truth and shall assure, there's another one of our words, why I have the opening illustration, our hearts before him. Now let's get into this. For if our heart condemn us, you ever had that happen when your heart just, ooh, I don't feel good about that. Our heart condemn us. God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence toward God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is the commandment that we should believe on the name of the Son of God, of Son of Christ, and love one another as He gave us commandment. And He that keepeth His commandments dwelleth in Him. That's a fellowship term. And He, and he in Him. And hereby we know, there's our word, that He abideth, there's our fellowship word, in us by the Spirit which He hath given us. Now, the thing I want to focus in here for the last few minutes that I have is when He talks about our heart condemning us, He's dealing here with the conscience. And you've heard the term our conscience. Some people use that term conscience, like my conscience has bothered me about this. The, the, what is the conscience, though? And let's, let's just talk about this for a few minutes. The conscience is an automatic warning system placed on the inside of human beings by God. There's new cars now. Even I was just researching some cars, looking at cars. And they have these cars that have sensors all around them now. I think t Tesla does as well, but there's other cars that do. And they basically sense everything. My... my my old 2013 Traverse I've got has got a sensor on the back. And so every time I'm backing out of the garage, it's just going nuts. It's a ding, 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 ding. And I mean, that thing's just going everywhere. I'm like, I'm fine. I know where I'm going. But the sensors are all going off saying, danger, danger, danger. You know, it's just beeping all the time. Well, your conscience is that internal warning system that God put in you. But it's not the Holy Spirit. And sometimes, and I'm going I'm to have to look at my notes here for a little bit because I, I don't want to get off track, but there's times when our conscience can condemn us and God wouldn't. Now, what's an illustration of that? So I can make it clear and then teach it and then maybe come back to it. Think of an Amish. I had an Amish, former Amish guy in my office the other day, and I thought, I'm going to try to get the gospel into this guy a little bit, or I'm going to see what he believes. And so I just asked him a question about, how do the Amish believe you get to heaven? Because he's no longer Amish. And he, he was like, uh, I don't know. I guess just do whatever they do and look like they look. I'm like, all right, now I know why you got out of the Amish. But uh, and I, didn't, I didn't say that, but he didn't really know. But think about an Amish person. If they're diehard Amish, they don't have electricity, right? They don't drive in cars, and they've got some other things. So their conscience would condemn them if they participate in those things. Imagine an Amish guy sneaking in some electricity to the house, lining it up, his neighbors come over, it's going to condemn his conscience. Why? He has set his conscience to a position that will be bothered if he has electricity. Now, let me ask you guys. You guys studied the Bible. Is there anything in the Bible against electricity? Is there anything wrong with electricity? There's nothing wrong with electricity. 
So their heart condemns them over something that God doesn't condemn them about. So their conscience bothers them if they <clears throat> have electricity at their house, but it's not the Holy Spirit bothering them. People get this confused. So you can set your conscience. I like what one person said. Uh, if I can find it quickly, I probably won't, but I will find it some part of my notes. And, and he, he talks about, he defines conscience as, where is that at? It's going to come up. All right, you guys just, oh, here it is. Our conscience holds us accountable to the highest standards of right and wrong that we know or that we allow. So for them, the highest standard of right and wrong is no electricity, and that's what the standard that they have set. And so if they have electricity, it bothers their conscience. I, well, I would assume. I guess I've never really asked one that. But so the conscience is what entreats us. It, it's what, what we believe. It's what restrains us. And, and it's what keeps us from what we doing what we think is wrong. But sometimes, and where we get it wrong in the church sometimes, is we think that the conscience is the voice of God. And so there are times when you may have been raised in a certain way that in your conscience would bother you if you did something and you'd feel violated, and it may not be wrong. It may not be biblically wrong. But your conscience is set, okay? So that's why we have to make sure that we are studying the Word of God. In Romans chapter 2, he says this, For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, so the Gentiles, not the Jews that don't have the law, back then, do by nature the things contained in the law. So they do the things that are actually in the law, even though they don't know it. These having not the law are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the mean while accusing or else excusing one another. Because God created us all. So there's a built-in warning system that we had. And he was saying even the Gentiles, there's some things that they wouldn't do. We would say we would take a lost person, someone that's not even not a Christian. They don't go to church. They don't care about anything. But they have some laws in their own lives, do they not? There's some things that some places they won't go. Not every lost person's a murderer, right? Or else we'd all go to work watching around everywhere like, uh-oh, I may die today. So we don't look at every lost person and go, they could kill me today. I mean, no. So they all, everybody has this internal conscience. It's built in them. But we as Christians, what makes us different is our conscience is to operate fully in accordance to God's will. And so in order for it to do that, we've got to inform our conscience with God's word. If not, here's what we'll do. I'll take your guys' opinion and I'll allow that to form my conscience. Well, if you guys believe this is okay, then maybe I should think it's okay. Wait, well, hold on, but you guys think this is okay, so and they think that's okay, so now I don't know because they think it's okay, and they think it's okay, and now she wants me to do something else, and I, I just don't know because they do it different, they do it different. Well, here's what, we, here's what we do as Christians. We just get into the Word of God. What does the Bible say? And I allow the Bible to set the standard of my conscience. Amen. And so if my conscience bothers me, if it condemns me, it's because I've set it to the Word of God. It's like a thermostat. You've got to set your conscience to the Word of God. We could go over to 1 Corinthians. Romans 14 is a, such an interesting one, and I definitely don't have time to do that passage. Romans 14 is a passage. I'll whet your appetite with it, which is dangerous. But Romans 14 is a passage that says this. If we do anything that's not of faith, we sin. Now, hold on a second. You just said... That our conscience con condemns us, but there may not be right according to the Word of God. Yes. But if I can't do it of faith, 
that I'm sinning, if I'm going against my conscience. It's a crazy passage, crazy thought, Romans 14. So what, what he's saying here, though, what's the, what's the thing? In that, in that situation was the meat. Remember back then it was a big thing for a Jew? I can't eat that meat. I can't eat the meat. And Jesus had told his Gentiles, hey, you can eat the meat. I've freed you all. You can have the meat. So go home today and have steak if you want. You can have whatever you want. We're Gentiles anyway, so we don't care. But, but you can have meat. You can have all of that. But the Jews were sitting there still because their faith, they were young, they didn't have the confidence, they, and it was going against their conscience. And that's the context he said, hey, you know what, if you eat meat, you would be in sin. Well, then he's just throwing their whole minds off. Well, you just said it's okay for the Gentiles to eat meat. Yes, they can because it's not wrong to eat meat. Wait, you just told us we were wrong if we eat meat. Yes, because you're doing it against your conscience. Well, wait, which one is it? The truth is, he says, trust me, set your conscience higher study get to know me and so meat wasn't wrong so now you know if you're a jew in here you can have meat okay and you probably know that and you probably will have steak but the idea is our conscience you can be an amish person and you feel like this is what's right and wrong but it's not biblical or you could be over here and i could give some illustrations and i won't because it could take us off and you could be in a church very conservative have some things that you think are just right or whatever and you could be wrong you could be the truth is, for each one of your families, we got to get into the Word of God, study the Word of God, and know the Word of God. That is what we're supposed to do. We need to be in the Word of God. So you say, well, let me, oh, I might as well do it. It's on my mind, I might as well do it. So what do we do then? So I, here's the thing. Each family has to set their, their standards according to the Word of God. What happens a lot of times in our culture, it happened to me, we, go, we come out of college, and college then sets our conscience. Because I, I came out of college thinking, man, I've got to wear a polo and khakis everywhere I go because I went to Pensacola Christian College. And so my conscience started to bother me. If I, was, if I had jeans on at first, I was like, man, I don't know if I should have jeans on because PCC says I can't wear denim. So I started to feel bad if I was wearing jeans. I was like, I don't know if I should wear And I, thankfully, I think my, my dad was probably pretty gracious with me coming out. Because when you come out of college, you think you know everything. You know, you just think you do. And especially if you're a Bible student, so you think you know everything. But my, I was like, I, don't, I, I need to be doing this. And I was, setting, I was just setting my conscience based on what this, this school did. And you know what? That was okay there. Because I do believe that we are supposed to allow we're, those authorities, if we're in a school or if we're in a church, hey, if the church said you have to be on a stage, you have to wear a tie. You know what I would do? Wear a tie if I'm on the stage. Because if that's, a, the, if that's the standard that they set for their platform, you just follow it. It's not a big deal. But it doesn't mean that I have to do that everywhere I go. And that's where people cannot, they get so confused. And they think, well, because of, because I remember one time, well, I don't even want to get into it. I just don't even want to get into it. But we have to set a standard for our own hearts and lives and our family. And then wherever you go, if you work at McDonald's and they say you have to wear this, then you have to wear that. Follow their standard. You can't go to them and say, I'm a Christian. I can do whatever I want. The Bible's my standard. No, no, no. Your boss right there is now your standard. If they're asking you to sin, don't follow them. If they're just asking you to do something that's not biblical at all, it's just their, their what is the word I'm looking for? Their company standard. Maybe that's the word I'm looking for. Just do it. Just do it. And so there's where I think, I'm just trying to answer some questions I get sometimes with this text, because sometimes I'll get people asking about different things. The idea is set the standards according to the Word of God. 
Allow the Word of God to be your standard. Allow it to set your conscience. And so, uh, back to my notes as I wrap this up. You can have a condemned conscience. He talks about this when you're, he talks about your heart being condemning you. When, how, is it, how do I have a condemned conscience? It's when I allow sin in my life. When I'm not loving others like I should, when I have allowed sin in my life and it just stays there, it can condemn my conscience. I feel guilty. I feel miserable from what I'm doing. How do I have a clear conscience? Have confidence in my walk with God. Have confidence to move forward in growth. I have confidence in prayer. He talked about there, if we ask anything in his name, he mentioned that in one of those verses. We need to have fellowship with God. That is what brings the confidence. Those girls, stand up there. They're going to play either today, later today, or they'll play tomorrow, hopefully, or sometime. And they've played now four games, I think. And so probably, if you were to go to, to, to the first at bat and watch those girls... They were confident because they're confident on something else. And then their whole world changed. And their second at bat now is like, I don't know. And now, though, they're getting experience. They're four games in. And now they have, they're going to have a little bit more confidence. And a year from now, as I said at the beginning, they're going to have a lot of confidence. How do you and I have confidence when it comes to knowing where to set my conscience according to the Bible? How do I have confidence when it comes to loving others and, and, and whether or not I'm really saved, I feel like I'm not saved and I'm going on my feelings all the time. How do, you know where you have confidence? It's the same thing as with these girls. It's experience, experiencing Christ. For them, it's experiencing live pitching and seeing it come in. For you, it's experiencing Christ every day. But what we have to do so often is we have to be coached just to read our Bible. We have to be coached just to spend time in prayer. And when you have to, con- if, you need, if you need me every week, I'm not saying you do. I'm not saying you do. I'm saying if you do, hypothetical situation. If you needed me or anybody to give you a pep talk every week just to do your devotions, you're always going to struggle. It just You are. You're, if you always need a pep talk in order to get a prayer life from Monday to Saturday, you're, you're always going to struggle with, am I saved? Am I not saved? Why am I not seeing this? Why am I not... Because you have to dig deep, as we would tell our kids in coaching, and in your own heart say, I just love God. And I just want to know Him. If every day you guys had to talk me into, you need to go over here to this lady, your wife, and you need to talk to her, and you need to listen to her. And I'm like, all right, can you just give me a pep talk, Ryan? Just give me a pep talk. He's like, you can do this. Just go talk to her. And I'm like, all right. Hey, Michelle, how are you doing today? And we're married? Are we going to have a good marriage? Probably not, if I need that guy to have a good relationship with her. So you don't need this guy right here or our pastor in order to have a walk with God. You do need our pastor because it's a biblical thing. But you need to dig deep in your own heart and say, I love God. Because I love God, I'm going to set my conscience on the Word of God. I'm going to love others. And I want to have this fellowship with God that gives me confidence every single day of my life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your faithfulness to us.